إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So in the previous sessions we had been discussing the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Allah is the most high above all of the creation separate and distinct from the creation that was the subject that we had moved on to if we look at the actual book Kitab al-Tawheed from Sahih al-Bukhari he says Babun wakana arshuhu ala al-ma' wa qawluhu wa huwa rabbul arsh al-azim qala abu al-aliyah istawa ila al-sama' irtafa'a fasawahunna khalaqahunna وقال مجاهد استوى على على العرش وقال ابن عباس المجيد الكريم والودود الحبيب يقال حميد مجيد كأنه فعيل من ماجد محمود من حميد الشيخ الأثيمين رحمه الله تعالى says هذا الباب فيه عدة مسائل This chapter has several issues to discuss within it أولا Firstly إثبات العرش لله عز وجل The affirmation of the throne of Allah سبحانه وتعالى لقول الله تعالى and that is due to the statement of Allah سبحانه وتعالى وكان عرشه على الماء and that his throne is upon the water it is an affirmation in the Quran of the throne of Allah سبحانه وتعالى والعرش هو أعظم المخلوقات التي نعلمها The throne, the throne of Allah is the biggest, the greatest of all of the created things that we know of It is the greatest of all of the creations, the, the size of it of all of the creation that we know of, it is the greatest and the largest. وَأَكْبَرُهَا وَأَوْسَعُهَا وَلَا نَعْلَمُ But we don't know the specifics of the throne of Allah. We don't know the specifics and the details, but we know and we affirm the throne of Allah and we know that it is the greatest of all of the created things in its size Min Ainahua, where does the throne come from we don't know the details of those things 
ولا عن كيفيته or of the the descriptions of it in detail and specifics we don't know but generally we do know that لَكِنَّهُ ذُو قَوَائِمْ that it is something that does have supports or what you may call legs it is a throne that does have the uprights to it how do we know that ثَبَتَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ ثبت في الحديث الصحيح قال فأستفيق فإذا موسى آخذ بقائمة من قوائم العرش ذرن the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when he regains consciousness and he is the first to regain the consciousness he says, when I regain that consciousness on that day of resurrection, that I see Musa clinging on to one of the supports or the legs of the throne. فَنُؤْمِنُ بِأَنَّ لِلَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ عَرْشًا عَظِيمًا Therefore we believe that Allah has a tremendous throne وصفه الله تعالى بالعظيم Allah has described it as being magnificent and tremendous Allah has described it as being in that way وهو أكبر المخلوقات and it is the biggest thing from the created things from the creation وَقَدْ جَاءَ فِي بَعْضِ الْأَحَادِيثِ And it's been mentioned in some narrations. This hadith we've quoted before regarding the size of the throne. In the hadith it mentions مَا السَّمَاوَاتُ السَّبْعُ فِي الْكُرْسِيِّ إِلَّا كَحَلْقَةٍ مُلْقَاتٍ فِي أَرْضٍ فَلَا that the seven heavens compared to the footstool are nothing other than like a ring thrown in a vast desert. The seven heavens, all of that vast creation, is nothing more than the example of a ring thrown in a vast desert. The vast desert being the footstool of Allah and all of the seven heavens in the vastness of their creation being only the relative size, the ring in that vast desert. وَفَضْلُ الْعَرْشِ عَلَى الْكُرْسِ كَفَضْلُ الْفَلَاتِ عَلَى تِلْكَ الْحَلْقَةِ And then the greater size of the throne of Allah compared to the footstool it becomes the same example again that the throne of Allah is like the vast desert 
and the footstool of Allah now becomes like the ring in that vast desert. So you have two levels of example here. Vast desert, all of our creation, the seven heavens, everything is only but a ring in a vast desert which is the size of the footstool of Allah compared to our creation, the seven heavens. But then, comparing the footstool to the throne of Allah, then the footstool relative to the throne of Allah becomes minuscule. It becomes like a ring and the throne of Allah is the vast desert. So then if you were to compare the throne of Allah directly to this creation, then it would be but nothing more than a speck in that desert. Nothing more than something tiny and invisible in that desert. If the footstool of Allah, we are only a ring in that vastness, but then all of that vastness of the desert becomes like a ring to the vastness of the throne of Allah, then what therefore of the seven heavens compared to the throne of Allah? And that's why they say, that, or it is mentioned, that the throne of Allah is the ceiling of all of creation. It is at the top the ceiling of all of creation. حلقة صغيرة ونسبة الحلقة للفلاة ليست بشيء فهذا أمر لا يحيط به الإنسان من عظمته. That is something that mankind cannot encompass. You cannot comprehend the vastness and the greatness of the creation of Allah. Even now, when you look at what the scientists show you of their perceptions of the universe and how our solar system is there, and then they tell you about the other solar systems and the other solar systems and they show you these pictures and everything they assume, shows you how insignificant and small we are in this vast universe. Then you have all of the seven heavens, 500 years gap between each heaven, with all of the vastness of that creation, yet we are nothing but a speck compared to the footstool of Allah, let alone compared to the throne of Allah. So it is something you cannot truly comprehend. وَأَصْلُ الْعَرْشِ فِي اللُّغَةِ الْعَرَبِيَّةِ السَّرِيرِ الْخَاصِ بِالْمَلِكِ The word عَرْش in the Arabic language in its base meaning is a type of furniture that is specific to the king. So really very similar to the translation in that case of throne. A throne, we consider that to be in the language a specific piece of furniture specifically for the kings. And that is what the default of Arsh is in the Arabic language. فَيَكُونُ أَعْظَمَ السُّرُرُ الْمَوْجُودَ فِي مَكَانِهِ وَزَمَانِهِ لِأَنَّهُ عَرْشُ الْمَلِكِ So the throne of a given king will be the most magnificent 
piece of furniture. Compared to everything else, the throne will be the most magnificent piece outstanding from everything else in the creation and the kings. That is the root meaning of the word arsh. وَذِكْرُ الْبُخَارِ لِلْعَرْشِ إِنَّمَا هُوَ تَوْطِئَهُ لِذِكْرِ الْإِسْتِوَاءِ عَلَى الْعَرْشِ The reason why Al-Imam Al-Bukhari begins this chapter by talking about the throne of Allah is to lay the foundations and give you an introduction and a background, a basis to move on and to talk about the istiwa of Allah upon the throne. That Allah is the most high, raised above all of the creation. He is above that throne. And then he mentions some of the tafsir of the uh, salaf. Qala Abu he is one of the uh, famous Tabi'een Abu Al-Aliyah. Uh, he was famous in his knowledge of fiqh and ilm and ibadah. Qal istawa ila samaa Yani irtafa'a. Istawa. In English, what did they say in the Muhsin Khan? Istawa as what? Rose above. Someone do a quick Muhsin Khan. What's the word used for istawa in English? Do a search in the Muhsin Khan translations. Thum- rose, above. rose above. So the word used or the term used there is to rise above. Rose over. Rose over the throne. Istawa ala al-arsh. Rose over the throne. Here Abu Aliya he mentions in the tafsir of Istawa what we say there as rose over with exactly that meaning. Irtafa'a. Irtafa'a to rise above. Similarly, or that is indicating the statement of Allah he, Allah, is the one who created everything in this earth for you. He is the one who created everything in this earth for you. Then he rose above into the heavens, rose above the heavens. And samawat. That he then created them, made them as seven heavens. That Allah made everything in this earth for you, then he rose above and created them as seven heavens. Ertafa ila 
وإذا قيل ارتفع إليها فإنه يقتضي أن يكون قبل ذلك دونها ولهذا لم يتفق السلف على تفسير استوى إلى السماء بارتفع إلى السماء بل ذكر كثير من المفسرين أن المراد بالاستواء هنا القصد بالإرادة التامة فاستوى إليها أي اتجه إليها وقصد إليها بإرادة تامة تامة وأصل ذلك أن هذه المادة استوى في الأصل تدل على الكمال ثم هي في اللغة العربية تستعمل على وجوه ويتقيد معناها بحسب تلك الوجوه فتستعمل مطلقة وتستعمل معدة بإلى وتستعمل معدة بعلى وتستعمل مقرونة بالواو هذه أربع استعمالات This is what we spoke about before We've now come back around to the section we mentioned right at the beginning in this chapter that istawa can have different meanings depending on how it's used four different meanings are mentioned here we mentioned these briefly at the beginning meaning number one the open meaning of istawa the general and open meaning al-istimal al-awwal إذا استعملت مطلقة فهي بمعنى الكمال كمال الشيء The perfection and the completion of something That is the open general meaning of استوى So for example ولما بلغ أشده واستوى أي كمولة That when he reached his perfection, his maturity so that is one meaning of istawa. Al-istimal al-thani idha uddiyat bi ila. If the word istawa is used with ila after it. In that case, sara ma'naha al-qasdu wal-intiha. In that case, it means to intend something and to end up at something. And that is the meaning of ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى إِلَى السَّمَاءِ أَيْ قَصَدَ قَصْدًا تَامًا بِإِرَادًا تَامًا مُنْتَهَاهَ السَّمَاءِ الاستعمال الثالث الْمُعَدَّةِ بِعَلَى استوى could be used with عَلَى فَمَعْنَاهُ أو مَعْنَاهَا الْعُلُوْ وَالِاسْتِقْرَارِ Highness and establishment and settlement لكنه بنسبة للاستواء على العرش ليس هو العلو العام كما سنوضحه إن شاء الله But regarding the throne of Allah then it is not the general type of highness there is something more which will be clarified later الاستعمال الرابع أن تكون مقرونة بالواو if استوى is used with the word واو and in this case, في هذه الحال يكون معناها التساوي Something which is equal to something else كقولهم استوى الماء والخشبة The water and the wood were level plain at the same level 
So you can see there are different meanings for the word istawa. فَقَوْلُهُ تَعَالَى فَسَوَّاهُنَّ قَالْ خَلَقَهُنَّ وَفِي هَذَا التَّفْسِيرُ قُصُورُ يقول الشيخ الأثيمين لأن التسوية أمر زائد على الخلق لقوله تعالى الذي خلق فسوى ولو جعلنا التسوية بمعنى الخلق لكان معنى الآية الذي خلق فخلق وهنا لا يستقيم فالعطف يقتضي المغايرة والتسوية تمام الخلق يعني خلقهن على وجه مستوي تام هذا هو معنى قوله فسواهن Here the Shaykh explains that when Allah tells you that he created the seven heavens made them as seven heavens the meaning of the ayah is that Allah perfected them as seven heavens made them as the seven heavens in perfection and completion in precision not just created them created them and then made them absolutely in precision and completion وذكر ابن القيم رحمه الله تعالى في النونية وغيرها أيضا أن استوى على العرش وردت فيها أربع عبارات عن السلف ابن القيم mentioned also that istawa has four different meanings the salaf they mentioned or four different terms terminology على وارتفع وصعد واستقر على وارتفع وصعد in English you have very similar words to go above to rise above واستقر <coughs> to be settled and established لكن على وارتفع وصعد معنى الثلاثة متقارب أو واحد so the first three really have the same meaning of استوى to rise above فاستقر الاستقرار أمر زائد على مجرد العلو but استقر to be established is something different and more than rising above وكان الذين فسروه بالاستقرار أخذوه من قوله تعالى لتستووا على ظهوره ثم تذكروا نعمة ربكم إذا استويتم عليه أي إذا استقررتم عليه there is an ayah in the Qur'an which highlights the meaning of istawa, meaning establishment, settlement. وَهَذَا لَيْسَ بِبَعِيدٌ وَإِنْ كَانَ الْأَحْوَطْ أَلَّا نُفَسِّرَ إِسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ إِلَّا بِعَلَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ So the shaykh says in summary though, from those understandings, basically istawa ala al-arsh, then it means that Allah rose above the throne. All of those ayat mentioning Allah istawa ala al-arsh, then it refers to Allah rising above the throne. And that is why we say in our aqeedah that Allah is the most high, He is above, and He is ba'inun an khalqih, separate and distinct from the creation. Many people of innovation have this false belief. That Allah is merged within creation. This idea of wahdatul wujud. 
that Allah is merged within creation. We, the creation, and Allah are one. Allah, the creator, and his creation are one. This idea of the unification of Allah and the creation as one entity. And that is false. Allah is separate and distinct and above all of this creation. The scholars, they say, one of the easiest ways for you to understand that, logical way, is that somebody who has respect and authority and is superior to you, that person, is it befitting for you to put that type of person of respect and authority, your father or someone of that nature, below you? For you to sit on the chair, for example, and put your father on the floor, below you. Would you put somebody of respect and authority below you? That is understood to mankind that it is incorrect to do so. There is no respect and honor in doing that. Somebody of respect and authority, would you put them at the same level as you? Somebody who genuinely has a great degree of respect and authority and status, would you not give them the chair if there is a chair there and yourselves you would sit on the floor? Or would you say it's okay? Forget the chair, forget the cushions, everybody, him being the great man he is, the scholar, he can sit on the floor with us too. Which would you prefer? Which would you see as dignity and honor? To give that person a cushion, to give them a chair, a great scholar or something like that, you wouldn't view it as respect and honor and dignity to put somebody of that status on the same level as yourself. You recognize their honor and dignity is above you. So again, it wouldn't be from the nature of mankind to level yourself with somebody who has greater honor and respect and dignity than you. There is one chair in the room, who are you going to give it to? Yourself or your father? You will let the one of dignity and honor take that place and you will sit on the floor. So, the fact that somebody of honor and dignity, you would never put them below you. And you wouldn't put them equal to you. Rather, somebody of respect and dignity is above you. That is generally in creation. When you think about that with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, would you ever say that Allah is below you? Never ever. Impossible. Would you feel happy to say Allah is level with you? Again, no. How can you say that? You are level with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Would you ever say that? Would you find it to be of dignity and honor and respect to make such a statement regarding your creator that you and Allah at the same level? Would you say that? Never. So what is the only option left for you to say, even logically, we haven't mentioned any evidences, this is pure logic in the nature of mankind. What would you say? Allah has to be above you. Allah cannot be below you. Allah cannot be, you cannot be leveling yourself with Allah. Allah has to be above you. That is clear. Nobody of any sound intellect is going to argue against that. Nobody is going to argue against that who has any speck of sound intellect in their brain. True? So then when these people come along and say to you, Allah is everywhere, 
Their belief, they tell you, is that Allah is everywhere. So then you say to them, are you trying to tell me Allah can be below us? Allah is below us? You say everywhere. Everywhere has a portion of it which is below. Is Allah in below? You said everywhere. They'll say, no, no, Allah cannot be below us. You said Allah is everywhere. So Allah is right now equal to us here, right now on this floor, equal to us. Again, they'll start having some shaking moments now. Okay, no, we can't really say that. No, we're not, we don't mean that. So then you say to them, what do you mean then? The only thing left is that you know and I know in your heart, you understand clearly, Allah is your creator, your Lord. He is above you. He is not with you at the same level as you. Yes, Allah is with us in other ways we've explained before. And we'll explain again later in the chapters. But to say Allah himself is everywhere. And then they always have to add on their uh, disclaimers with this aqidah. Allah is everywhere but not in the toilet and not in the, the garbage dump outside just behind the wall there, not in the, uh, the dirty patch over there where the coke spilt last week, not over here. Not, you have to put a million disclaimers of where Allah can't be because of all the filthy places on earth. So your aqidah is going to be Allah is everywhere, that's the aqidah. Then you have to make two volumes of where Allah can't be though. So then why not just take the aqidah of Ahl Sunnah? Allah is above. Allah is not mixed in with you in creation. Allah is separate and above His creation. And that's why when you come to the famous hadith of the slave girl, when the Prophet ﷺ said to her, Where is Allah? So she replied by doing what? Pointing to the up, pointing upwards. Where is Allah? The Prophet ﷺ asked her, she pointed upwards. Fissama. Fi in the Arabic language does not necessitate the English translation of in. But that is something you don't do in the Medina books. It comes a lot later. Fi can have the meaning of ala. It can have the, 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 the rule is the haruful jar in Arabic can interchange meanings. Haruful jar in Arabic can interchange meanings. So, fi does not 100% equals in English in. It could be on. And similarly for other prepositions in Arabic, there is a rule. They can interchange meanings in contexts. The clear example is the ayah in the Quran where Allah mentions the rizq of the animals is fil ard. Allah has placed the rizq of the animals and the cattle and the sheep in the ground, in the earth. So do the cows now have to dig into the earth to get the grass out and the sheep have to dig into the earth to get their rizq out? Or is it on the surface of the earth? It's on the surface of the earth. Yet in the ayah, fil ard, which would in English to your default meaning understand as in the ground, in it. So they can change. So here she said, pointing upwards. Some of the people of innovation, this is one of the interesting points they make. They say that slave girl wasn't uh, an Arab. She wasn't Arabia. 
She wasn't an Arab, so she didn't speak Arabic. So they say, as a consequence of her not speaking Arabic, you can't use this hadith as an example because she never said, Allahu fissama. She didn't speak Arabic. She didn't know how to say those words. So then the scholars have said, even if you're going to bring that type of debate and argument, are you going to debate the fact that when she was asked, where is Allah? She didn't do this. <laughs> she did that. So that type of belief that they bring, it is something which is clearly against the aqidah of Ahl sunnah You know, when you look at the evidences, and you look at the ayat, and you even think about that basic logic, are you going to say Allah is everywhere? We're sitting here now, Allah is everywhere here, on the same level as us. You would not say that, and you know that cannot be. And that's why you have the famous statement of even an Imam Abu Hanifa, who they claim to follow. Many of these Sufis, they say we are Hanafi, claim to follow Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. What was the aqidah of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa regarding where is Allah? Above, never did he have the aqidah that Allah is everywhere. He mentioned in one of his books, لَيْسَ مِئِنَّ الْفِقْهِ الْأَكْبَرِ of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. قَالْ لَيْسَ مِنْ وَصْفِ الْأُولُهِيَّ أَنْ يُدْعَ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْأَسْفَلِ it is not from the characteristics of your worship to Allah that you're going to make dua to Allah downwards. Meaning, clearly, Allah is not down or here. Allah is above. And that is one of the other points. All of these people who tell you Allah is everywhere. You Salafis, you Wahhabis, as they say, you don't know what you're talking about. Allah is above. Allah is everywhere. So every time you see them making dua, though, whenever they're making dua, the hands are where? You tell them Allah is everywhere, point your hands here, make your dua like this, make your dua on the left like this, downwards there, make your dua with your hands down there looking at the ground, put your hands on the ground, make your dua with your hands on the ground, Allah is everywhere. Why are you making your hands pointing upwards every time when you make dua, when your supposed aqidah is that Allah is everywhere? Because in their heart, no matter how much they want to try and convince themselves of this falsehood, Naturally, in their hearts, it goes up. Their hands rise up knowing that their Lord is above. Their Creator is above, separate and distinct from this creation. So that is what this particular topic is about, and that is what this particular chapter is discussing. Discussing also the throne of Allah, and that Allah rose above the throne. What time is Adhan? Adhan is a quarter to ten. <coughs> uh, here, we already mentioned this last week, so somebody should be able to tell us. The people of innovation, they tried to change the meaning of istawa. Why? Let's begin with that. Why would they change the meaning of istawa? What is one of the key things to remember when you think about it and you say, why did the people of innovation go so astray in their understanding of aqidah? They had certain principles. One of the classical principles they had was taqdeemul aqal ala naqal. Their intellects were given priority over the texts. So basically they said, our minds 
our intellect, if we can work something out, it makes sense, then it's acceptable as the aqidah. But something doesn't make sense, it just doesn't work with our rationale and logic, then that can't be the right aqidah. We have to somehow tailor it so that it will logically in our rationale fit. So now when it came to certain names and attributes of Allah, they couldn't work them out logically, rationally in their minds. How could it be that Allah has this attribute, that attribute? So then they had to change and alter and distort things to make it work in a way where their mind would be settled with it. So that was one thing. It was always about what they could work out and understand in their heads. Anything they couldn't, they would change it, alter it to make it work for their minds. The other thing as well is that with the people of innovation, it is often noted that because of this idea of giving their minds the priority, they would often decide what the correct aqidah needs to be regarding something. And then they would search through the Qur'an and the Sunnah to find something to back up the conclusions they had already made. So they had already made the conclusion that Allah can't have this attribute or that attribute. So now they need to go through the Qur'an and the Sunnah to work out some proofs for it. They've made the conclusion that there's no way you can see Allah. How could we ever see Allah? So now they need to go through the Qur'an and the Sunnah to find evidences that will back up this false conclusion they've already come to that Allah can't be seen. So now every evidence that they come across in the Qur'an and Sunnah which seems to indicate Allah can be seen they will now by necessity have to change it, alter it, distort it to make it fit with the aqidah, the conclusion they've already come to that Allah can't be seen. So here... Perhaps that is the case. They've decided, no, Allah is everywhere. Allah, Creator, Lord, Allah is everywhere. You cannot say Allah is above because of all of the doubts that they have. If Allah is above, does that mean Allah is encompassed by direction? Because if something is in a particular direction, then the other directions are encompassing it. Doubts like this they bring. That is Allah therefore encompassed by the other directions. Allah is in a direction. The east encompasses Allah. The west encompasses Allah. The south encompasses Allah. They bring doubts like this which will inshallah cover as we go along. So then they've decided no in that case Allah is just everywhere. You can't say Allah is in one place in one direction above. Allah is everywhere. They've decided that. So now they need to tweak the evidences to keep them in line with this belief they've already concluded. So then obviously all these ayat saying Allah rose above, Allah rose above, they'll need to do something with them because that is now telling you Allah isn't everywhere, Allah rose above the creation. They've already decided no that can't be, Allah has to be everywhere. They'll need to now tweak those evidences to make it fit with their aqidah they've already concluded. So what did they do like we said? Istawa, they tweaked it, added one letter into it and made istawa into meaning istawla. They have no evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah for that, but they used what? The line of poetry. The line of poetry. 
that Bishar he uh, conquered Iraq without the sword and without spilling any blood. And historically that is correct. His brother was in charge and he took authority. There was no coup, there was no blood spilt, nothing. So, in the poetry it was mentioned he conquered Iraq without the sword and without spilling any blood. Istawa is the word used to mean conquered. The problems with this were what then? We did this properly like a full session. What were the problems with it? Firstly, it is not even proven as a line of Arabic poetry. It's not even proven that this is written by somebody of the eloquence in Arabic, that it could be used as an evidence for the Arabic language in the first place. Secondly, let's say now it is proven. Let's say that is the Arabic language. That is the correct verse of poetry. How could you refute it then? We mentioned it last time. He what? He ascended the throne. You mean literally he ascended the throne? Like he sat on the throne? Literally you mean? He actually did that? Or what do you mean? So he would have physically, actually rose above the throne of Iraq. Absolutely. The scholars, they say that Istawa in this line of poetry, it by no means necessitates the meaning to conquer anyway. Because he physically and literally did rise above and sit on the throne of Iraq. So if you were to keep it as the actual meaning, he rose above the throne of Iraq without spilling any blood, that is absolutely historically correct. He did rise above the throne of Iraq without spilling blood. So you couldn't even say that this is an example of conquering. You could easily argue, well, why don't you keep the exact meaning? He actually did rise above the throne of Iraq. It's not something metaphorical that he conquered Iraq. He literally physically did that. So that would break down the usage of the word into a secondary type of meaning. It can be used in the primary meaning without any issue. So that was not something that can be used. Istawa is the actual uh, meaning in rising above. So Allah, it is our aqidah, is above the creation, separate and distinct from the creation. But Allah is with us. How? Through hearing, through seeing, through knowledge, through his aid and victory for the believers, Allah is with us. But we don't say Allah is, in terms of how you say in English, physically, Allah in his essence is with us. Allah is above the seven heavens, above the creation, but Allah is with us in aiding us, giving us victory, having knowledge of everything, hearing everything, seeing everything. And Allah is with everyone in that way. You have other narrations like in the prayer. It mentions that Allah is in front of you when you pray. When you pray, Allah is in front of you. Hadith, authentic. So now they may use that and say, there you go, Allah is everywhere. When you're praying, Allah is in front of you. But that also does not necessitate this aqidah of theirs that Allah is everywhere. Allah being before you and Allah being above you, there isn't a contradiction in meaning. 
that Allah is above and separate and distinct from the creation, but when you pray, Allah is before you. It doesn't necessitate contradiction. That's why certain issues, like the throne issue and the last third of the night issue, Allah descends in the last third of the night. Does that mean Allah is no longer above the throne? Those types of things are not really discussions you go into. Some of the scholars, they discussed it. They mentioned bits and bobs in their books of Aqidah of the past. But it's not something you delve into. You need to understand the basics of Aqidah. The basic point, Allah is above all of the creation. Allah is above the throne. The throne is the greatest part of creation. Understand the basics and the principles of Aqidah. Then all those other topics and details, they come at later stages. You can go into them in later books. But for now, that is the key point. That the throne is the greatest of the creations of Allah in its size. And that Allah rose above the throne. And that Allah made the heavens into seven heavens. And there is an ayah in the Quran that indicates that Allah made seven earths. We've discussed that before too. Some of the scholars, they said the meaning of the seven earths could be... Huh? Could be that there are seven earths. This is one and there are others. It could be that is one possible tafsir of the ayah that there are seven earths like the seven skies, like the seven heavens. But there are other earths like this earth. Other scholars gave the tafsir that the seven earths are actually the continents, the, the masses on the earth, the body masses, the land masses on the earth, seven major land masses on the earth, or <coughs> we've done all of this before, we definitely discussed it before. What was one more tafsir the scholars gave of the seven earths? Is it the seven layers? Layers of the earth? What's the layers of the earth? Layers, what do you mean layers of the earth? So you remember geography days? <laughs> when they showed you that picture and they show you the mantle and the crust and all those things? So the levels of the earth going down into the core as they call it. Some of the scholars said the meanings of the seven earths is that there are seven uh, zones to the earth going down into the center. So those are different <coughs> explanations the scholars give regarding the earths. Final thing we'll mention today, just as a round-off, we've done it before as well, a recap on this section, was the famous statement of Al-Imam Malik. What was the famous statement of Al-Imam Malik regarding this? You remember one occasion where Al-Imam Malik was talking about this issue and a man said to him, How does Allah rise above the throne? How does Allah rise above the throne? So Al-Imam Malik became very angry. It says in some narrations he began to sweat and his face went red. And he replied to the man, Al-Istiwa, memorize this. This will help you in every section of the book, in every section of Aqidah and the names and attributes. He said, Al-Istiwa is 
ma'loom, it's known to us. Rising above, the general meaning of rising above is known to us. That is known. Well, kayfu majhul, but how that happens is unknown. How does Allah rise above the throne? That is unknown to us. Thirdly, well, imanu bihi wajib. Having iman in that is obligatory. And fourthly, asking questions how and this and that is innovation. That is four principles that apply to the whole of the names and attributes of Allah. Everyone, we know generally the meaning of it. We know what it is generally. How it is and the details and the specifics we don't know. Having iman in it is obligatory. Asking questions of how and this and that and delving into those is an innovation. Why is it an innovation? You may say, why? Want to learn about my religion? Why is it innovation to ask these questions? Hmm? The Salaf? So the Salaf never asked these questions? So they never asked how into the names and attributes, how this, how is, how does Allah descend and they never ask these questions. They never ask those questions then. They never ask the questions. Be confident, no problem. If you're wrong, you'll just be embarrassed for a while, there's no issue. You're right. So the Salaf never asked these questions. You remember I told you before in the University of Medina what they used to do, the teachers. You had to memorize all these hadith. So when you memorize the hadith at the end, it tells you, for example, that this hadith, it's in Bukhari. This hadith, it's in Muslim. This hadith, it's in Abu Dawood and Bukhari. This one, it's in Muslim, Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi. All the hadith, where they come from. You had to memorize. So in the exam, they ask you to recite the hadith. Once you've recited the hadith, then at the end you say, and that hadith is from Abu Dawood. Uh, Tirmidhi and Bukhari. Next hadith you recite it and that one is from Ibn Majah and uh, Bukhari. Next one and that one is Abu Dawood and, and Nasai. Everyone you got to say it. So at the end of one, a student, he finishes the hadith and he says, and that one is from Muslim. The teacher says to him, Muslim? Student says, Bukhari, Bukhari. <laughs> teacher says, no, you are right, it was Muslim, you would have got the mark for Muslim. So, memorize properly and you stick to it. What was the point then? The Salaf, they never asked these questions. Why do we say it's a bid'ah? Somebody may say, why can't I discuss these? Why can't I debate with you over these issues? Why can't I argue with you over these issues? You tell them because these are issues of the religion. They are issues regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, aqidah, belief, iman. The Salaf, who were the greatest in their understanding of this religion, most enthusiastic, asking with zeal, with the Prophet they never ever asked these questions. How does Allah descend? What is the throne of Allah like? Where did it come from? How come the Salaf never asked these questions? It didn't occur to them? Are you going to try and tell us it didn't occur to the Salaf, but it occurred to you now? It occurred to them, they knew, but they never asked these things. Because they understood the aqidah does not require you and does not desire of you to go into that and to delve into that. Our aqidah is that we know what it is, 
But the howness is unknown to us. You stick to the default meaning as it is, and you do not go into secondary and other affairs. So we in our aqidah are the same as what the salaf were in their aqidah. If you now start going into how does Allah descend, how is the throne, you are now going into realms that the salaf never went into. So if that's the case, explain why you're going into areas the salaf never ever had to go into. Are you better than the salaf? Are you more zealous of your religion than the salaf? Have you got more enthusiasm than the salaf did? More than Abu Bakr, he never asked this question, but you are. So there are issues where you see the salaf never delved into, it's for a reason. Because they understood the basic aqidah and they knew these issues are not issues to delve into and ask about. It's not our, uh, it's not what Allah has desired of us. Rather, Allah has told us, وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You've not been given from knowledge except a small amount. That's in the Quran, Allah tells us. We've not been taught everything. Even the names of Allah. We're talking about the names and attributes of Allah in this book. Do we know all of the names of Allah? We do not. Even the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment will then be informed of more of the names of Allah. So we do not have all of the details to encompass all of the knowledge. We've been given what is required by us to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to understand who our Creator is, who our Lord is, to be able to fulfill our objective upon this earth. That Allah did not create us except to worship Him. What we need to be able to worship Allah, we have all of that. Absolutely. How do we know? Allah tells you in the Quran, on this day, I have completed for you your religion. Everything we need to know that is going to bring us closer to Allah, we've been taught. Everything we need to know to keep us away from the fire, we've been taught. Anything now people want to delve into over and above that, then it is beyond what the religion requires of you and you are falling into areas that may well lead to your misguidance. The philosophers and the people of innovation, one of the reasons they went astray in this topic is because they went beyond the bounds of what the Salaf were upon. They went beyond the bounds of what the Salaf were upon. They insisted, but how does Allah descend? They insisted on going into that. When the Salaf never did, then the Prophet ﷺ did not need to go into that. And we were not taught about that, but they insisted. But how? Allah has a throne, but where and how and from what? And they insisted, even though it is known that you do not go into that and we have not been given the knowledge of that, they insisted. So when they insisted, as a consequence of going into all of those issues, they went astray. Their minds were warped with all of these things because we don't have the knowledge of them. They insisted on going into them and they became astray as a consequence. So the aqidah is simple to understand and to learn. If you learn it step by step, stage by stage, inshallah ta'ala will conclude upon that for tonight. We'll carry on next week. Uh, what time is Maghrib going to be next week now then here? Eight thirty, huh? The other one. Eight thirty-one next Saturday, huh? So in that case, we need to start at eight p.m. Otherwise, it's going to get very late. 
if we start after Maghrib, that's 8.50 p.m. you're going to start. So you're going to finish at 10 p.m. It's better from next week we start. Okay, wait. <laughs> now we have... Now everything has changed. <laughs> we need to scrap everything we just said. So 8.19 is the Adhan. So that means we're going to start at 8.25, the prayer, eight, about 8.40 we can begin. Huh? So maybe next week we can squeeze one more session in after Maghrib. We'll start after Maghrib, 8.40 p.m. We'll finish for 9.30 p.m. But then the week after, that will be almost 8.40 or something, 8.35 or whatever it's going to be. Then we'll definitely start 8 p.m. So inshallah, next week after Maghrib again, 8.40 approximately start, finish at 9.30, then the week after, set time 8 p.m. then. From the week after, set time 8 p.m. Inshallah ta'ala. In three weeks time as well, Saturday the 5th of May. Not next Saturday, not the one after, the one after. That's going to be off here, there's a conference in Liverpool. All of the, uh, uh, the various students, etc., they're going to come. Uh, Abu Hakim will be there, Abu Idris, Abu Khadija, Abu Iyad. Everybody's going to come from a, uh, for a conference in Liverpool, the first conference of this nature in Liverpool, Saturday, 5th of May. So all of these classes here, Bolt and everything, will be cancelled. That week, everybody should try and go to that conference. The leaflets are here now, we'll give them out, etc., so that is for Saturday, the 5th of May. Make your plans for Liverpool, insha'Allah. So we'll conclude upon that for tonight.